Well, good morning. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Kari. I am one of the pastors here. Pastor Lance, as many of you know, is on sabbatical. We're about the halfway mark. And he's coming back from Myanmar. I believe he's traveling right now with that team. Such an incredible time. I'm so excited to hear the testimonies of what has happened. From what I've heard, from the little bit we've gotten from Pastor Lance, his life has changed. And the people around him got to meet Jesus for the first time. And that is amazing. Now, Pastor Lance and Polly, as they're back, they've got a few more weeks of sabbatical, and I thank you for all of you who have blessed them with some space. We've all been trying to do that, give them the opportunity to hear God a little bit clearer as the rest of the voices die down. But our staff council, or our council, has decided that they would like to send Lance and Polly um, with, with a little gift as they go, a trip down to Mexico for a quick trip. Isn't that incredible? Now, if you would like to be a part of that, we are inviting um, those of us in our church. If you would like to give a little bit toward that, we'd love to give them some spending money. You can go online to PugetSoundFoursquare.com and give. Just do the drop-down menu and put in there Lance and Polly trip. We would love to be generous in blessing them in this time away. So, today, we're going to get into the third week of our series, A Little Touch-Up. Now, have you ever had anything in your life that is um, really good? Like, in theory, it's a really, really, really good thing, but it always gets you in more trouble than you expect it to. Am I the only person that has this? There is one thing that, by all accounts, is awesome. I would guess that 95% of the people in this room think it's an incredible thing, but it has created more marital tension in my life has cost us more money, has brought us to the highest highs and the lowest lows in our entire marriage, and that thing is HGTV. Has anybody ever been there? It's incredible. Oh, yeah, I see hands, guys. I love HGTV. When Malaysia and I first got married, we were able to buy a house right at the same time that we got married, so we were like, all right, let's do this, you know? Let's make this our own. And we didn't have TV at our house, so we'd go away to, like, you know, if we were at a hotel or something, we would just binge HGTV. But it gives me, and my husband too, but especially me, a false sense of confidence. Because all I see is the before and after. And I'm like, man, that is worth it. I love that. And Elisha and I are just handy enough that we can get ourselves into some serious trouble. You know what I mean? Like, I am really optimistic about my skills and his skills. And so I won't go into all of the stories, you guys, please. There's one in particular that I'm going to avoid at all costs. It's too stressful. But, there's, but it, gives me, it, it gets us into situations where, like, for example, when I was 38 weeks pregnant, we're sitting around the dinner table, and we look down, and we know that below the carpet is hardwood floor. And at 38 weeks pregnant, at 5.15 p.m., I said, why don't you just rip it up? What's the worst that could happen? I can tell you the worst that can happen. You, you fill your whole house with dust. I have to be, like, quarantined to another room. And it's, you know, it is hardwood floor underneath, but it's a little patchy. It still needs to be refinished. And I'm thinking, I'll just pull up all these staples while I wait to go into labor. These are the kinds of things that I do to myself. I love the big picture, but the tiny details are not really my forte. The finishing details are not necessarily the thing that I focus on. We'll remodel the whole kitchen, but the back of the cabinet is not painted. That's the kind of person that I am. But sometimes those little things that we think are just little, they actually take away from the whole picture, don't they? My kids putting their dirty hands on my freshly white painted walls, I'm not necessarily going to pull out the paint and touch that up. 
But the weird thing is, every time I go into the room, all I can see is the handprint, not the work that got me there. Am I the only person? And that's what this series is about, is, is about our lives with Jesus and our Christian faith that we may live in this house called our relationship with Jesus. And the walls may be built up, and maybe they are for you, maybe they're not, maybe you're just learning who Jesus is. But sometimes there's these little details that are a little fuzzy, questions that we may have unanswered, conversations that got left in the air and have left us kind of questioning this whole area. And we may feel safe in our faith, but if we don't revisit the little details, the things that are off are the only things we're going to see. And so as we talk, this, this eight-week series that we're going through is all about getting into, back into the tenets of our faith so that we can get back onto the same page, so we can pull out the paint and just do a little touch-up, finish the project, and understand in a greater way who God is. This morning, we are talking about evangelism. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you so much. Oh, God, we love you so, so much. Lord, you are the cornerstone. Lord, you are the one that we turn to. Lord God, you are the firm foundation. Lord, I pray that this morning as we get into your word, Lord, I pray that it would come alive to us. Lord, I pray that those places that we have been a little off, the areas that, that aren't quite right, Lord God, would they rise to the surface? Lord, I pray that truth and grace and understanding and power would be released in this place in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, we say no to any voice of the enemy that would try to bring confusion or doubt. Lord, we stand firm on the faith that you have given us, firm in salvation, and we, and we just raise our hands to you and say, give us more, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Evangelism. For some people, you may think like, okay, I don't even know what that really means. For other people, you're like, woo, loaded topic. Evangelism is a word that sometimes we skip over, but I really want to define it. It's really about sharing who Jesus is with other people. What he's done for us on the cross, the life that we can have in him as a result, that we can live forever with him in freedom and in a relationship, that everyone is invited into this relationship with Jesus. Good evangelism really has to do with showing people your before and after, isn't it? Just like HGTV, saying this is who I was before Jesus, and this is who I am today. And inviting people into that, kind of just that mysterious power of Christ that says, come, come to the cross. Be saved, be healed, be restored. He will change you. He is open to open his arms to you. But when we talk about evangelism, I know for me for a long, long time, when people would say evangelism, the only thing that would come to my mind is approaching strangers on the street and saying, do you know Jesus? Do you need to know Jesus? Do you know that you're a sinner? Or standing on a corner and preaching so that everyone can hear, I'd imagine, picket signs. That was the kind of evangelism that I imagined. Now, those are forms of it. Sometimes they're done really well. Sometimes they're not. But it's so, it's not that. It's really just that, sharing the good news. We talk about the gospel. I'm going to be saying the word gospel a lot this morning. The gospel is just the good news that Jesus loves you and has come to save you and wants you to be restored to him so you can live forever. All the things you have done in your past, he wants to forgive and make you new. Evangelism is key to our faith. 
But there are things that stand in our way. Many of us as Christians, and I really raise my hand in this as well because I have been there. There are times that I am tempted to go back there who would say evangelism is not my job or nobody really wants to hear about it. Or in church we can talk about Jesus, but let's just keep it there. It's too personal. It's, it should be contained within the church. But that's not actually what scripture says. In Mark 16, 15 through 18, Jesus is saying to his disciples to go. He said, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. Jesus told his disciples to go, and it wasn't just, sometimes we'll read in Matthew 28 and it just says go, but this passage brings a little bit more context, a little bit more clarity to beyond the moment that you go, he will be with you all the way until the very end. It's not just that you tell people about Jesus, he's inviting people into true relationship with him. Now I have to give you a warning before we get into this this morning, this is a content-heavy sermon. If you are a note taker, take those notes. But I promise you, I'm bringing you the best that I can to give a full picture of what evangelism is. Not just evangelism in the snapshot of someone preaching on the corner, but an understanding of all that evangelism is and can be in the lives of believers. Amen? So two big things. Before we get into what evangelism is, what it could be, what it should be, I want to talk about two things that will stand usually in people's way. This isn't my experience. There sometimes are more reasons, but there's two things that will keep people from evangelism. Number one is some of its history. The history of proselytizing. I always say that a little bit wrong. But if you don't know what that is, I'll give you a 15-second, don't time me, a 15-second history lesson on that. Now, you know that when Jesus was here on the earth, The Jews were under the Roman rule. Now, the Roman Empire was big and spreading during that time. And when Jesus told his disciples to go and tell everyone about him, people were meeting Jesus right and left. It was spreading like wildfire. And in that time, there's a lot of uh, opposition to the Christians because people didn't want the name of Jesus spread. But over time, as lives were being transformed and people were getting saved, eventually it had spread so thoroughly that Christianity actually became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And so then within all these countries that, they, that the Roman Empire oversaw, there were all these churches that popped up in their midst, and they became very structured. Now, when the Roman Empire fell, this is very simplistic. I will say this. This is a very simplistic telling. But when the Roman Empire fell, basically there, there weren't uh, governing bodies left in those, in those countries that they no longer oversaw. The only structure within a lot of them was the church. And so then the church became the government. And the church did something, the church and the government being one, there are some people who say, like, that would be awesome. But the problem with that is that when the church and the government are one, people who then are attracted to being in the church are people who are attracted to power. They're not necessarily attracted to the heart of God. They're people who are in the church who are high up in the church ministering, but really they just want political power and rule. Corruption comes at that time. I think any government you look at is open to corruption. 
And so churches that were governing bodies then are doing things that political parties do and, and governments do, which is, well, we want to go conquer that land. And the, you, the reason they, the, the justification they would use is, we're going to do it because they're not Christians yet. So they'd go into other countries in the name of Jesus, but really for their political agenda, and they would go there to murder and rape and erase culture to conquer, make them look like them, talk like them. There was atrocities done in the name of Jesus. And unfortunately, the church eventually broke away from the government, as we know, but there continue sometimes to be missionaries who will go into a place in the name of evangelism, sometimes well-meaning. And instead of preaching the gospel, what they'll do is they'll preach their way of life and try to erase culture. And they'll try to take away people's very identities and say, no, you got to do it like Jesus. Well, really what they're saying is you really got to do it like me. And if you, if you are somebody who knows the, this history of what quote-unquote evangelism looks like, or if you're someone who doesn't know Jesus and you know this history, when someone talks about sharing their faith, it puts this huge taint in this whole, it doesn't look good. It doesn't, you don't want that. So when you talk about evangelism, it feels... I don't, I don't want to do that. That's private. Let me live my life as my own. And now if you're a Christian who doesn't know that history, you may be well-meaning and want to bring people to Jesus, but you've got this massive blind spot of what's happened in history. And it's important for us to understand where people have misused the name of Jesus in evangelism when we walk forward in it. Now, that shouldn't stop us from sharing the name of Jesus, but I believe that it helps us to have some context as we're moving forward in this world. It's called wisdom. We just need to have wisdom. The second thing that will stop people from evangelizing, and this is absolutely, I have been here, is that people will say, well, you know, I'm not an evangelist. There are evangelists in the church. There are people who are made to do that, and that's not me. Well, often what people are referring to is the fivefold ministry. In Ephesians chapter 4, it gives a picture of kind of the five positions of um, ministry that God will release people into. Not everyone is released into these, but in ministry, you will see prophets, apostles, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. So if you are not necessarily called into the office of the evangelist, the, 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 the spiritual authority and mantle of the evangelist, then it's easy to say, well, that's not me. So I'm not really... I don't need to tell people about Jesus. That's somebody else's job. But scripturally, that's just not accurate. You know, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples in Matthew 28, and he's telling them, go out into all the world and preach the good news. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to a group of disciples. Now, if you know the disciples, you know that within the disciples, there were many different, you know, gifts and and. Authority. So there were pastors in there and teachers in there. There were evangelists in there. But when he speaks to the disciples, he says, you disciples go into all the world and make more disciples. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are living in his ways and, and learning more about him, letting yourself be transformed by him, you are a disciple. So it doesn't really matter what your calling is. Every single one of us have the mandate to go out into all the world and preach the good news. Can I get an amen? I think that's good. I think that's a good reminder for each one of us 
that we all have a unique way in which we can share the gospel. And it doesn't have to look like this. You don't have to be on a stage. You don't have to be on a street corner. And you don't have to be the guy meeting everybody in the Starbucks. Like, that guy's awesome, too. I'm not that guy. I'm also a girl. But (laughs) when we understand that the authority and the mandate that God has put on us extends to all of us in evangelism, it changes the way we walk. It changes the way that we approach this. So we're going to talk about five shoulds of what evangelism should be. And I don't always love the word should. So I feel like it has a different connotation. I like to say don't should on me. I don't like that idea. But we are going to talk about what evangelism should look like because I don't think that we always are there. This is evangelism in its pure form. And I would encourage you as we're getting into what evangelism should be, or maybe what evangelism can be, let's open up our hearts. I want to encourage you to open up your heart and say, okay, God, where can I grow? What is the next step for me in stepping out in this place of evangelism? And maybe for you, it is all of it. But let's look at the picture of evangelism that actually God created. Number one, evangelism should be the church's first priority. Evangelism should be the church's first priority. That's pretty strong, isn't it? I think that there's, there's so many things that happen in church that how can you say that this one is the first? Well, you know, if you come to our church, you, know, you may know that our mission is to send loved, mended, and trained people out. That is the mission of Puget Sound Foursquare. And I can tell you from our staff, it, is what, it goes into everything that we talk about. How does this love people? How does this help to mend people? Is this a training class? How are we sending people? We really think about that. But do you know there's actually a purpose for the Big C Church, the whole church? The Big C Church is all the churches together all over the world. We are just one. And I, even though we may not communicate with each other well, which I would hope that we would start to do better as the coming of Jesus draws nearer, but Jesus oversees all of the church, the Big C Church, And the purpose of the church is two things. Number one, to bring people to Jesus. To bring people to Jesus. And number two, it's to make followers of Jesus or disciples. The old school way of saying that would be to save souls and make disciples. What's the point of the church? To save souls and to make disciples. Here in our midst at Puget Sound Foursquare, what you often will see when we do classes, when we do date night outs, when we do, uh, when we have our youth group and retreats and camps and outreaches and all of that, a lot of it is making disciples. It's creating a community of people who are becoming more like Jesus, giving us opportunities to grow and to become like him, to learn about him, to let him heal us. Side by side in community, we sharpen one another. We take the edges off of each other. We are a community of disciples. That's an incredible thing. If we were just a social group, if we were just a club, if we were just like, you know, South Tacoma Community Church, no, not community church, sorry, I meant community club, and we just came together and hung out, that has a different purpose. But the reason that we sing songs in the beginning is to lift up the name of Jesus. The reason why, we, why there's someone preaching right now is to teach you the word to get into your life, to allow you to open up yourself to the Lord. And the reason why we hang out afterward is so that disciples can be together. But just like Pastor Laura said at the beginning of the service, really what the Christian life is, is Monday through Saturday. 
And then Sunday is when we come together and get on the same page. So what happens? What happens if we take away the first part of the mission of the church? If all we say is, we just want to be a community of disciples, but we don't make evangelism our first priority. Life stops flowing into our midst. If our eyes are not on the cross, if our eyes are not on people knowing Jesus for the first time, then the power, the transformative power of salvation is no longer in our midst. It's a memory for us. And Jesus does heal. Healing happens throughout the entire process of our Christian walks. And there is a power in healing. Do you know you go to a church that I would say we are strongest in our mission on the mend. Love, mend, transcend. Mend just flows out of our veins. I believe in healing. But when you remove salvation from the beginning of that, it's easy for us as Christians to get very inward focused and work on perfecting. We become really focused on, okay, what's the next class that's going to make me better? What's the next worship service that's going to make me feel closer to Jesus? And there's no new Christians coming in our midst. It becomes, eventually, it's a slow cycle, but eventually it just kind of becomes dead. Division amongst the church rises up quicker. So when we put our focus first on salvation, the reason that we're all here to begin with, life is flowing in our midst. People are coming in and meeting Jesus. We see the transformational power of the gospel at work, and things get a little bit messier. It's not as easy. It's not as clean. It's not as cute when people are coming in that don't look like somebody who's been at church for a long time. But you know what? That's the reason we exist. It's the reason that we're here, is people coming to know Christ. In the early church, if we want to talk about the, good, the, the perfect model of evangelism, we go back to the early church. And the disciples, they had evangelism in everything they did. Everything they did had to do with bringing people to Jesus. In Acts 4, Peter and John were being told to stop talking about Jesus. This happened often, whether it be religious leaders or government officials. They'd pull disciples aside and they'd say, stop talking about Jesus. Just stop. You're fine as a person, but you're creating way too much ruckus. And Peter and John say this thing that so sticks with me. Peter and John answered them and said, Whatever is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Have you stopped speaking about what you have seen and heard in the presence of God? Evangelism should be our first priority. Number two, evangelism should be motivated by love. Evangelism should be motivated by love. I'm somebody that doesn't enjoy conflict very much. If I have to get into it, I'll get into it. But if I'm, if I'm around people that are really tense, and there's, a, there's, a, there's just like an air of, of judgment and anger, it's not really a place that I want to be around. And evangelism for me, for many years... I thought of it as an opportunity or a mandate for me to go talk to people who didn't know Jesus and tell them what they were doing wrong. Isn't that what people think of the church anyway? That we just think that we're telling them what they're doing wrong? The motivation, when it's judgment, when it is condemnation, when it's calling out the bad, no one wants to be around that. But unfortunately, that sometimes is the face of what evangelism is. But it's a funny thing because, you know, when you look at the Bible, love, I believe, is the central tenet 
of our faith. God himself is love. Did you know that? God is love. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't say God loves. It says that God is love. The reason for that being there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three in perfect relationship with each other. It's a mystery we can't really wrap our minds around. But think about this. The essence of God is relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit in relationship with one another. The thing that is the glue of God is love. And he created this earth and humanity out of love. He was motivated by love. He wanted a relationship with us. When we chose to step away from God, his heart was broken because he loved us. And because of love, he sent Jesus. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Jesus here on the earth preached love, showed love, and then he died for us out of love. When Jesus was here, he told us that the two greatest commandments for us as humans is to love the Lord your God, just reflect that love right back to him, and love your neighbor as yourself. Lay down your life for your neighbor. And in fact, in, uh, is it John? i got to find this. Yeah, John 13 is when Jesus says, the world will know that you Christians are different because of your love for one another. Love is everything that God has for us and wants us to be. And yet, when we try to bring people to the feet of Jesus, we're not motivated by love. We're, not mo- we're motivated by anger, by fear. That's not how it should be. God wants to empower us with his love to reach out to those around us. And it doesn't matter what they look like right now. It doesn't matter where they are right now. Invite them into relationship with Jesus. And if you are here and you don't know Jesus, can I tell you something? This is a loving place to be. You are loved. You are accepted. We want you here. And as you know Jesus and become more like him and are his disciple, that's in the future and it's going to be incredible. But come to know Jesus today. We should be motivated by love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, it's a very familiar passage of scripture, but it talks about how important love is. If I speak with tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have only become a noise, gong, or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. I'm a goal-oriented person, and all the things in that scripture seem like the things that I want to do. I want to attain those things, but without love, they count for nothing. The gospel is inclusive of people. It invites people. And when we talk about Jesus, there are no boundaries on the gospel. Unfortunately, I have seen, and maybe you have too, churches who will put an emphasis on evangelism, want to bring people to Jesus, until people come into their midst that don't look like them anymore. That don't, that don't maybe, yeah, maybe they don't look like them, maybe they don't make the same amount of money, it makes them uncomfortable that you're around people that don't look like you, but Jesus died for all humanity. And the the tragedy is when people will preach the gospel until they get challenged by their surroundings and then say, okay, well, that's enough. Now I'm going to step back. But God wants you to push through all of that. 
The third should is that evangelism should be strategic. Evangelism should be strategic. Now, sometimes it feels like the strategy, intentional, the strategy and the intentionalness of the gospel stands in opposition to the opportune gospel. I have been in places where people have said, um, share the gospel wherever you go. Tell people about Jesus wherever you go. Look for every single opportunity. And I do think we need to look for opportunity. It's in 1 Peter that it says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And that's good. I think we need to always, always, always be ready. But if we only look at opportunities and say, I'm not going to be intentional in sharing the gospel. I'm just going to let it happen when it happens. Depending on your personality, two things will happen. Either you will fire hose the gospel everywhere you go, right? Social media, Starbucks, at your work, you're just always talking about Jesus. Not necessarily thinking about who's receiving it. Just, I've got opportunities all the time. Anybody know that guy? Anybody in that guy? Um, Just fire hose it. Or you will say, I'm looking for opportunities, and you never see one. One literally never comes up. And you say, I'm always looking for a chance to share my faith, but it just doesn't exist. And can I challenge you, church? That actually probably has nothing to do with whether the opportunity exists. It has to do with your personality and your outlook on evangelism. If you are really, really ready, share Go. But we have to also be intentional in making sure it happens. And we need to be strategic in the way we do it. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a great example of that. He says in uh, 1 Corinthians 9.22, he says, I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. Paul was somebody that he had a big, he had a really wide reach and that he had a background as a Pharisee and then he became a Christian and he was also, um, he also was a Roman citizen. He had a way in with lots of different groups. You know, you are the same way. We are all these multifaceted people. We have lots of elements of our personality and you can probably find ways to connect with different types of people based on your personal experience. Paul was like this. When he was with people, that when he was with the Jews, he would talk like a Jew. When he was with the Romans, he would talk like a Roman. And all of it was for the purpose of bringing glory to God and bringing them closer to Jesus. When he would go into a city, Paul was really strategic. He would always, he would always try to go to a synagogue first. That was their, the Jewish place of worship. And those were places where it was normal, probably, I, this is what I'm getting from the Bible, for people to stand up and speak. If there was no synagogue in the town that he went to, he would find a public place where he could stand up and speak. And it would be normal for someone to stand up and speak. He was strategic. He found the right place. He spoke to them as they were. Do you know that you serve a God who speaks to you as you are? I love that. I love that. When I hear God's voice, because I I do hear God's voice, and you can too in prayer, I hear God's voice He talks to me kind of like how I want to be talked to. And there are times that he corrects me. There are times that he is so strong with me. And I have a fear of the Lord. But he speaks my language. I'm super glad he doesn't speak Spanish to me. I'm super glad that he uses words like super. Right? 
when you are talking to people about Jesus, be normal. Because usually you're pretty normal all the time until you talk about God. At least that's how I have been. My son has just turned five. He has a prayer voice already. It's the funniest thing in the entire world. We had a little bit of an emergency in our house. One of, our, one of my younger kids fell and kind of hurt themselves. And I was, Jesus, 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 you know, kind of praying in that moment. And Law walked into the room. And, you know, normally he's like, hey, mom, how's it going? And immediately he was like, Jesus. Like, right? like he had like the prayer voice. No one taught him the prayer voice. And it's okay to have a prayer voice. But what I'm saying is when you speak to people, do it in a normal way at a normal time usually and, in a, and use normal language. Paul was strategic and intentional in the way that he shared the gospel. Evangelism should be creative and adaptive. There are people who cannot stand to be in creative churches. I love being in creative churches who are looking for new ways to communicate with people the good news. Because if you think that we can communicate the gospel the way that we did 50 years ago or 20 years ago, in 1999, things were different than they are today. Or 10 years ago. Culture is changing so fast. If, we don't, if we're not creative and adaptive in the way that we present the gospel, then we're missing people because we are multifaceted humans with a quick culture. God has loved humanity at every single stage equally. He loves us just the same as he loved the disciples, just the same as he loved Abraham. He doesn't really care what clothes we wear. Let's love the people around us, even if they don't look the way that we feel comfortable with. Evangelism should be spirit-empowered and spirit-led. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. You know what I love about God is because he is living and active in our midst. He was the one who created us. He was the one who saved us. He was the one who saved you. He's the reason you are here. And he knows whose heart is open to hearing his voice. So let him lead you to those people. Let him empower you to say things you couldn't say otherwise. To be braver than you think that you are. When you're in scripture daily, when you're reading the Bible every day, his words just come to your heart in those moments. When you are cultivating a close relationship with God, you're overflowing with his love. So when we share the gospel, don't forget to be prayed up. We need to be spirit-empowered and spirit-led. There are some of you who are gifted prayers. You are gifted intercessors. You are gifted prayer warriors who get into time with Jesus. Don't forget the harvest. Don't forget those that need Jesus the most. Pray. Pray for our church. Pray for all of us in our church to have a boldness and an opportunity to share the good news. Colossians 4, 3 through 4, says, Praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open us, open the door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. 
And finally, evangelism should be urgent. Evangelism is not for tomorrow, it's for today. We, Jesus came to this earth, earth to save us. But church, do you know that Jesus is coming back? Do you know he's coming back to earth? And we don't know when. We don't know when he's coming back. He told us to act with urgency in preaching the gospel. Ephesians 5.16 says, Make the most of your time because the days are evil. That's a really strong word, evil. But can we be honest? we got to make the most of our time. There is evil around us. And we, like I said, we don't need to preach the word to condemn the evil. We need to preach the word to call people into the light. This is life or death. Do you know that eternity is at stake here? The good news of the gospel is that we have been saved from eternal separation from God. God is love. God is life. There is a purity and a power in the presence of God. But if we are not repenting of our sins and asking God to forgive us for that which we've done that separates us from him, the result is eternal separation from God, and that's called hell. Can you say hell in church? Hell. It's a real word. It's a real place, you guys. And I don't say it to scare you. I I say it to compel you to run to Jesus. And so those people that we are putting on the back burner and saying, I'll share Jesus with them at another time, there may not be another time. There may not be another time to tell them who Jesus is, to share with them your testimony. Are you ready to share your testimony of what God has done? I like to keep my testimony short and ready to go. My testimony, I I say it all the time. I've said it from the stage, I don't know, probably 10 times because I'm never going to stop telling people what Jesus did for me. I grew up in church and I knew who Jesus was and I loved him, but I didn't know his saving power. And when I was 16, I had been depressed for a number of years and I was so overwhelmed with thoughts of suicide that I knew that the end was near. And I reached out to some people who could pray for me and I said, I need Jesus to save me because I am powerless. They prayed for me. I went to the feet of Jesus and I was set free. I was healed. I have never been depressed again. God saved me. He healed me. And that is why I care about preaching the gospel to this broken world because I'm broken and I need Jesus. Eternity is at stake. Church, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are commissioned to go. Do you know what commissioned means? It means that you are officially called to be sent, that you are charged to go. You have been given a mandate to go and tell people about Jesus. You are not disqualified. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are not disqualified. Many times the people who have just met Jesus are the ones that are most effective in the work of evangelism. Because the fire of transformation and love is already burning inside of you. One of the values in our church is that every Christian is called to be sent. And that's you. Now, if you are somebody that does not know Jesus, that I just spoke this whole message about sharing the good news, and you're like, what good news? 
and everything we talk about and saying that Jesus is worth it all and giving our lives to him, you're saying, I want some of that. We're going to pray in a moment, and I want to give you the opportunity to give your heart to Jesus, to give your life to Jesus. And it, it, it's, it takes kind of, you know, three or four moments in, under, in saying, Jesus, I see that I have sinned. I have removed myself from you through my actions. I am not worthy of you. But Jesus, I know that you came and you died for me on the cross. And I want to be born again. I want to be saved. I want to start my life over. I don't want to go to hell. I want to be with you. I want life and healing. I put my trust in you. I believe that you are the son of God. Can we pray together? Let's close our eyes right now. If you are in this room and you want to meet Jesus, that you have heard this message of salvation, you said, that's me, I'm ready to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus, would you raise your hand right now? Thank you, Father. See those hands. You can put them down. And let's pray together. If you want to accept Jesus into your life, or if you know Jesus already, would you speak this out after me? Say, Jesus... I see that I have sinned and I repent. Will you come and forgive my sins? I want to be like you. You are the son of God. Now, if you are, that is incredible. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you are in this room and you say, I want to spread the good news. Just put your hands out in front of you. And I want to commission you, Puget Sound Foursquare, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. In Jesus' name right now, Puget Sound Foursquare, you are commissioned to be sent. You are called to be sent. If you are a disciple of Jesus, Holy Spirit, bring power from within, Lord God. I pray that you would anoint our church to speak your words. Lord, I pray for conciseness in the message of Jesus. And Lord, we do pray for opportunities to come, but Lord, I pray we would be intentional and strategic in moving forward. Lord, would you go before us and would you cover behind us? We love you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.